What's up everybody, GenX Dividend Investor here. In this video I tell you why, when, and how to balance your dividend portfolio, which is something my subscribers ask me all the time. I'll also share some fascinating statistics about people's asset allocations and their overall portfolios in a study Vanguard released last year. Finally, I'll tell you an amazing story of a young man who started a job sweeping floors at Lowe's after he got out of the Navy, and he eventually managed to build a portfolio of 75,000 shares of Lowe's dividend stock. So if you love dividends, then please do me a favor and hit the thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click the bell notification. Okay, what does balancing your dividend portfolio actually mean? Well, that's when you buy and sell shares, and maybe other assets, to achieve your desired allocations in your overall portfolio. Like maybe you decide that you have too much of a particular sector of stocks, so you sell some shares from it and then you use that cash to build up a sector of stocks that you're underweight in. Buying and selling in retirement accounts is often easier than a taxable account since you tend not to have to worry about taxes and such when you sell stocks in Roths or traditional IRAs. Some people use tax loss harvesting strategies to minimize taxes when rebalancing in taxable accounts. Tax loss harvesting involves selling assets at a loss in order to offset capital gains made from something else sold for a profit. You might not be able to completely avoid all capital gains that way, but it still might help to reduce your capital gains tax liability that can come from rebalancing. Balancing your portfolio should be part of your overall budgeting and retirement plans, ultimately to create a holistic strategy for your financial well-being, both now and in the future. It's important to balance your portfolio for risk management reasons and for enabling better returns, which are two good reasons to consider doing it. Better for you might mean more total returns, or it might mean cash flow now, all depending on your goals. But there are lots of other reasons you might rebalance. Like maybe a massive stock crash happened and you want to use some spare cash to buy things on the cheap. Or maybe you got married and your significant other has a portfolio that you can manage in conjunction with your own. Maybe you unfortunately got divorced, now you got to split your portfolio and rebalance whatever is left. Or maybe you become disabled or ill and you feel the need to change things. Maybe you need more cash, less risk, maybe you suddenly have a shorter investing time frame or whatever. Anyways, another way you can rebalance your portfolio rather than sell shares is to deposit more cash into your account than invest in things that are underweight relative to your desired amounts. Yet another balancing strategy is to use your dividend cash flow to build up positions that you want to grow. Like instead of having your drips on for all your stocks, Maybe you instead turn off the drips for the positions you don't want to grow right now, and then use the cash that's generated to invest where you want. Another reason you might want to rebalance is if you find yourself holding funds with high expense ratios, aka high fees. That might prompt you to sell out of the expensive fund and move into something that Vanguard or Fidelity or whomever offers. Of course, some people's portfolios can get away with less rebalancing. Like if you don't hold any single stocks and you just own the whole market ETF like VTI, then your balancing might be more about how much cash you're holding or how much in bonds or CDs or maybe real estate or whatever. Maybe you want to rebalance into more international stocks, so you decide to invest in Vanguard's total international stock ETF, ticker VXUS, which holds more than 6,009 US stocks. Or maybe you want more bond assets, but also more international exposure, so you go with Vanguard's total international bond ETF, ticker BNDX, which holds more than 4,500 non-US bonds. Some people use the rule of 110 to figure out what percentage of bonds should be in their portfolio. What you do is subtract your age from 110, and that's what percentage of your portfolio should be in stocks, with the rest in bonds. So if you're 38 years old, that means 72% of your portfolio should be in stocks, with the other 28% in bonds. I personally have 0% in bonds, but many financial advisors would say that what I'm doing is too risky. Now, some people like to rebalance their stocks based on the percentage of smaller companies to larger companies in their portfolio. Small companies often have more growth potential, but also can be more volatile and risky. 
dividend-focused investors sometimes rebalance to get higher or lower average yields in their portfolios. Like, it's not uncommon for investors to first focus on building as large of a portfolio as they can by investing in whatever they think can grow the most over the upcoming decades, and then as they get closer to retirement, they sell their non-dividend or small-yielding dividend stocks and go into stocks with higher yields, but often less growth, so they get more cash flow. For reference, my portfolio's average weighted current dividend yield is around 3.4%. That isn't my yield on cost, nor is it anything to do with stock appreciation, nor is it talking about dividend appreciation. The yield in my taxable account is 3.94%, and the yield in my retirement account is lower. And now that I'm retired, there's a minimum amount of income I need to achieve in my portfolio to ensure my expenses are covered, and then beyond that I have more flexibility. Generally speaking, I like to have stocks with good dividend growth histories, some stocks with better price appreciation potential, some with higher yields, etc. A neat tool in my spreadsheet product is something that lets you search for dividend companies based on different metrics. You can put in the minimum dividend yield you want to search for, the minimum number of consecutive years of dividend increases it has, the minimum 3-year dividend CAGR percentage you want, the maximum PE you want, the sector you want, and a toggle for monthly payers. Like here I put in a minimum of 5% yield and hit search, and this is the first page of stocks it finds. You can see some names you probably recognize on here like ABR, EPD, 3M, MO, etc. Now you never want to invest solely based on yield, and you want to be careful the higher the yield goes, but still, yield is something most dividend investors factor into their decision making. Another way to identify stocks is to watch YouTube videos, join my dividend discord where people talk about investing and dividend stocks 24 hours a day, plus you can scour dividend websites, etc. Another metric some dividend investors use to balance and optimize their dividend portfolio is by dividend CAGR. My average weighted CAGR in my entire dividend portfolio is around 7.3%, which means that if my companies continue to raise their dividends as they have averaged over the last few years, then next year my dividend income will have grown by about 7% from where it stands today, or more if I also buy more shares, and less if my companies hike their dividends less than they historically have. Most people want to get their average weighted portfolio dividend CAGR as high as possible, while also accounting for other metrics. The dividend CAGR in my taxable account averages 6.6%, but in my retirement accounts it's over 8%. So again, I might go to my search tool and look for higher CAGR stocks. Let's also look for monthly dividend stocks, which is another way some people build their portfolios, aka to get dividends every month. So let's search for companies with at least a 10% dividend CAGR, which is a lot, and that are monthly dividend payers. But this time no companies are found. Let's relax the search criteria a bit and remove the monthly payers flag. Now we see a bunch of stocks on this first page that is alphabetically sorted, so there are lots we can go through. Okay, now let's look for monthly payers again, but lower the CAGR to 7%, and let's also say we want at least 10 consecutive years of dividend increases. Now the search tool comes back and says ADC meets our criteria, which is Agree Realty, a REIT. REITs often have higher yields, and have their own pros and cons to be aware of, and are stocks that many dividend investors use to boost their portfolio's yield. Now most dividend companies pay out every quarter, aka every three months, and some companies pay out monthly. Rarely will you find companies that pay out annually or some other time frame. Anyways, as dividend investors build up their portfolios, they often will find that they have some months which pay out a lot more than others. So some of those folks will try to invest in stocks that pay out dividends in their low months. You can check out sites like Seeking Alpha to see what months different stocks pay out, or I have various ways in my spreadsheet tracker that you can check info like that. Like here's a tool I have where you can type in a ticker, like J&J, and it tells you that J&J has 61 consecutive years of dividend increases, a 65% payout ratio, its current yield is at 2.9%, and its three-year dividend CAGR is 6.2%. It also tells you that J&J's next pay date is March 7th, so if you needed a stock that paid out in March, June, September, or December, then J&J might be one you'd consider. 
If you add a dividend stock to your portfolio in my tracker, then it will give you a visual depiction of the future months it pays out and how much dividend income you should receive based on the number of shares you have. Like here's part of the J&J row in my personal portfolio, and some of you might notice a new addition to this part of my tracker product which we are currently testing, and that's a new earnings date column. So now it will dynamically list the next earnings date for each of the stocks in your portfolio, and in this case it's saying that J&J's upcoming earnings are on April 18th. Anyways, as you can see in this row of the 12-month calendar view of payouts in my portfolio, it shows that I got paid $1,092.71 from J&J in September of last year, then again in December, and currently it's February, which I depict as green, and then we also see that my upcoming J&J payouts will be in March and in June. I expect J&J to announce a dividend hike in April, and my spreadsheet will automatically pull in the new dividend amount and then will adjust your future payouts on here as well. So like if J&J does a 6% dividend hike in April, then this would automatically show that it should go up from $1,092 to pay out to $1,158, which is $65 more a quarter, which means I'd make another $262 a year. Anyways, my advice to you is to not invest primarily based on what month something pays out, as that could cause you to sacrifice getting the best investment just to smooth out your income. Instead, I recommend that you just budget your cash flow and spend it in the months you need it. Like I could get paid only once a year, let's say just in every January, but it would be a larger amount since everything was hitting in January, and then I could just divide that amount by 12 and pay myself one twelfth of my January payout each month to turn a yearly payer effectively into a monthly payer. I know that's not as fun as seeing your income come in every month, but it's effectively the same outcome. Anyway, another way that some dividend investors balance their portfolio is based on their various brokerage accounts. Like many people prefer to hold REITs in their retirement accounts rather than their taxable accounts to make doing their taxes easier, as well as because the majority of REIT dividends are generally taxed at ordinary income rates rather than the lower long-term capital gains rate that applies to qualified dividends. Or some people might want to balance their portfolio to have more yield now in their taxable and put more growth in their retirement accounts, but it all depends. If you have a job right now and you don't want to deal with any taxation that might come from dividends in a taxable account, then you might put non-dividend stocks in your taxable account and put dividend stocks in your retirement accounts. Another way you might balance your dividend portfolio might be if you decide to migrate from holding all individual stocks to holding more dividend ETFs. Like maybe you want to get into my favorite dividend ETF, which is SCHD, so you slowly sell off some stocks, being aware of the tax implications, and then you transition into SCHD. One way I like to balance my dividend portfolio is based on if any single stock gets too large in my portfolio. Like my general guideline is not to let any individual holding get larger than 10% of my overall, though I'd break that guideline if I thought the stock could keep running. Like let's say Apple releases an Apple car and it's amazing, and the stock doubles, so let's pretend that my Apple stock grew from 9.4% of my portfolio to 20%. In that case I'd probably let it ride, though I'd be wary of the risk I was taking. I'd only do it for the best of the best stocks. Another common way to rebalance is based on if a sector of stocks in your portfolio has gotten too large or too small. If too large, you could sell some, or you could just stop investing in them and then just slowly build up other positions in other sectors, and eventually things will come back into a balance you like. Like here's my personal dividend portfolio weighting by sector. Consumer staples is my largest sector at 17%, where I have stocks like Pepsi and Procter & Gamble and Coca-Cola and such. My next largest sector is technology, where my Apple and Microsoft stocks are 16.7% of my overall portfolio. Before last year it was a higher percentage. Then we see I have 15% in tobacco sin stocks, 11.5% in healthcare, etc. But I feel I'm too low in financials at only 4.1%, and way too low in industrials at only 1.8%, and I don't have any materials. If this was my kids' portfolio, I'd tell them to get out of tobacco, as I don't see those stocks appreciating as much as others, but I'm personally okay with the risk and it provides me with good income right now. 
Another thing I like to do is compare my portfolio to the overall market sector weighting and then slowly move my percentages into that of the market. Here are VTI's sector weighting percentages I use as a guidepost. So technology represents about 24%, consumer discretionary is 14%, healthcare is almost 14%, etc. Driving your sector percentages to VTI sectors is one way I'd recommend balancing your dividend portfolio over time. And you can see where my portfolio is off when you compare the two, but sometimes I'm purposely off based on if I like or dislike the sector. Like my portfolio has about twice as much in utilities as the overall market does, and I have twice as much in real estate as well, and I have no telecom or materials. But I'm aware of VTI sector weightings, and then I balance my portfolio as best meets my needs and goals and risk tolerances. I prefer large cap US stocks over small cap or international stocks, but I do have some international exposure in that many of my stocks generate material portions of their revenue internationally, and I do also own British American Tobacco as my one international stock in my portfolio. I go pretty light on cash, as I tend to invest it when I have it, but I keep a few months for emergencies. Also remember, you can immediately do changes or you can take years to nudge your portfolio in another direction. It all depends on what you prefer. Some people like to rebalance things by adding riskier emerging market stocks into their portfolio, which is a new level of diversification that you probably don't have. And beyond REITs, dividend investors also sometimes like to evaluate BDCs and MLPs as higher yield stocks to balance out their portfolio. I did a video called BDCs and MLPs and REITs, oh my, where you can dig into those types of dividend stocks if you're so inclined. Now, another way to identify what stocks to invest in, that you already own, is to learn how to calculate intrinsic values and then buy more shares when stocks are cheap, and of course, potentially sell off the expensive ones if you want to lock in some profits. Like even if I wanted to balance my dividend portfolio by increasing my position in Procter & Gamble, I personally wouldn't be buying it right now because I calculate it's overpriced. Generally speaking, I like to ensure a stock's price is at least reasonable when I buy. By reasonable, I mean in line with their intrinsic value. It's obviously smarter to buy with a margin of safety though, i.e. maybe at least 10% under intrinsic value. And Captain Obvious says that most people want the highest returns with the least amount of risk, which balancing your portfolio can help you achieve. Regardless, what you are trying to do is to create a portfolio that meets your needs and goals and risk tolerances, and then evolve it as it makes sense to you. You don't want to copy what other people do, but it is good to understand why they're doing what they're doing, and then you do what makes sense for you. Now when I say needs and goals and risk tolerances, what do I mean? Well, needs represents the now, like do you need income now from your portfolio? If so, then you'll probably want stocks in your taxable account with a decent enough yield to give you cash flow. Goals are things you want to achieve in the future. Like maybe you have a goal for your dividends to grow at a certain CAGR rate over time, or maybe you have a goal for your portfolio to hit six figures within 10 years, or whatever. Risk tolerance is the degree of risk that an investor is willing to endure given the volatility and the value of an investment, aka it's how much risk you can stomach before you say no thanks. If you have a high risk tolerance, then you might be going heavier into crypto right now, whereas if you can't stand any risk, then you might be heavier into cash. Though the reality is that too much cash is a risk in itself, since you're losing out to inflation, and you have an opportunity cost loss of not investing in things that can cash flow and appreciate. Though regardless, I think that having some cash is prudent. There's also an aspect of subjectivity when it comes to risk. Like, you might feel the tobacco stocks aren't risky at all, but the person next to you says you're crazy. Understanding your own risk tolerance is an important part of investing because it helps you decide on what types of investments to make, how much, and when you'll invest. All investments involve some degree of risk, and knowing your risk tolerance helps you plan your portfolio. Investors can usually be classified as aggressive, moderate, or conservative based on how much risk they can tolerate. An aggressive investor commonly has a higher risk tolerance and is willing to risk more money for the possibility of better, yet unknown, returns. 
Aggressive investors hopefully are experienced enough to understand the volatility of stocks, and they often adopt strategies to try to achieve greater than average returns, even though average returns over the long run are good in my book. That being said, very few people can beat the market over the long run, even though you'll meet countless people who will tell you they do. And often they can beat the market for a short period of time, but very, very few manage to beat it over the long run. And if someone tells you that they've been beating it since they were a kid, well, they might be talking about something else. Anyways, aggressive investors often prioritize stock appreciation more than income or even preserving their principal. That type of investor's asset allocation commonly includes stocks and little or no allocation to bonds or cash. Higher risk investments can also include things like IPOs, SPACs, super high yield stocks, crypto, and stuff like that. Then we have moderate investors who want to grow their money, ideally without taking on too much risk, and they often want to minimize losing too much as well. Their goal is to weigh opportunities and risks and take a more balanced investing approach, which can often include a mixture of stocks and bonds. Finally, we have conservative investors that commonly have a lower risk tolerance and seek investments with more guaranteed returns, even though nothing is guaranteed. Conservative investors want little to no volatility in their portfolios, and it's not uncommon to see retirees or those that are close to retirement age be unwilling to risk a loss of their principal investments due to their short-term investing horizon. They might hold CDs or money markets or treasuries and such. I personally am retired and am aggressive in the sense that I'm almost 100% in stocks, but I'm conservative in the sense that my stocks are all blue chip dividend ones. Beyond risk tolerance, there's a term called risk capacity, which is a measure of how much financial ability you have to take a risk, as opposed to your willingness to take a risk. Remember, fortune favors the bold, not the reckless. That's a Gen X quote. Don't you hate it when people quote themselves? Anyways, here's a trend of equities asset allocation by age, aka how much stocks people own. You can see that when people are young, that on average 90% of their portfolio is in stocks, but then as they get older, their allocation to stocks keeps decreasing, up until you have the average 70 plus year old that is only 40% in stocks, with the rest being in other asset classes. Another aspect of your risk tolerance is your time horizon for your investments. So if you need cash in the near future, then you probably want to stay away from stocks and potentially just park cash in an interest bearing account. But if you think you can invest in something for years, then putting your cash to work with stocks probably makes sense. For example, if you were planning on buying a house in the next four months and you needed cash for down payment, then I wouldn't risk it on stocks. And speaking of risk, another aspect of risk tolerance is your estimated future earning capacity based on assets you might have such as pension, social security, your home, etc., all of which can affect your risk tolerance. Like if you're about to be able to collect social security, then you might feel like you can take on some more calculated risks with your spare cash. So the more assets you have, the more you'll probably feel comfortable to take a small percentage of your assets and invest in riskier things, which sometimes will translate into bigger rewards. But as time goes on, your portfolio will naturally evolve if you don't touch it. The second law of thermodynamics says that entropy will always increase over time. Thus, without rebalancing your portfolio, you'll find that things will slowly drift away from your vision of what you wanted. Like maybe you own some tobacco stocks that you've been reinvesting into, but after a few years of dripping, you might find that they've grown to be too large of positions that you're comfortable with. Of course, some people would say that you can never have enough MO, am I right? Or maybe you don't own any bonds and you've been all in riskier stocks, but one day you see your hair graying in the mirror and you decide that you want some of those boring bonds to de-risk your portfolio a bit. One of the times when investors rebalanced out of bonds and into stocks was after the 2008 financial crisis after stocks got hammered. It was scary to buy stocks when things crash, but just like you saw in March of 2020 after the pandemic hit, the people who can control their fear and buy when everyone else is selling are the ones that can make out like bandits. Some people think investing only in treasury bonds is the lowest risk thing you can do, 
but I'd argue that if you were young, then only investing in treasuries is actually a bigger long-term risk, i.e. you'd be missing out on lots of probable stock appreciation over the years. Not rebalancing reminds me of a story I just told on my Dividend Discord earlier today about a guy I knew that worked at Intel for a long time and who managed to retire early on all his Intel dividend income. I was worried he was too concentrated in one stock, but there you go. And unfortunately, today Intel announced a 66% dividend cut as part of their restructuring and cost-cutting. So now that acquaintance of mine is probably hurting, and things like that are part of dividend investing, so again, I encourage you to diversify. Anyways, this Barron's article that came out today about the Intel cut has an ad which speaks to balancing your portfolio. It says, learn how crypto investors are adjusting their approach, and it made me think of balancing. Like maybe you used to be heavy into crypto as part of your overall portfolio, but you decide it's too risky and you'd rather own dividend stocks. Or maybe you decide that you need to stay in crypto, but you should move into less risky crypto, like Bitcoin and Ethereum instead of altcoins, or something. Okay, another way some people like to balance their portfolio is to scale down on the number of stocks they own, or they scale up. I've met lots of people who have 50, 100, even 150 plus individual stocks. Those people might eventually decide to streamline down to 20 or 30 stocks, which is the number of stocks most experts recommend. I say eventually because when you're first starting out investing, your amount of investments are so small that I wouldn't worry too much about getting dozens of stocks. It's okay to start with a few stocks and then slowly add on to them as things are on sale, though it's also fine to limp into a bunch of positions just to start them and then add when they're on sale. Just keep slowly moving your portfolio to your desired future state. One thing to be aware of is that if you do own a bunch of positions and you decide to trim back, then realize that you may see more volatility, aka daily price swings, the fewer the stocks you have, which could be okay depending on your risk tolerance. The more stocks you hold, the closer you'll probably get to matching the overall market's returns, which actually have been great over the long run, which is why the easiest and probably smartest thing to do is just go with something like VTI and then not worry about individual stocks. You can also do a hybrid portfolio approach of ETFs combined with individual stocks. I personally prefer investing in individual stocks because it motivates me to own specific companies as well as it lets me mold my portfolio to my liking, like what sectors I own or what my portfolio's average yield is or CAGR is, etc. It also gives me the opportunity to buy things that are on sale or lock in profits when they're expensive. Overall, I tend to be a buy and hold investor that infrequently sells. That being said, I did just actually sell out of one of my dividend stocks that I've held for a long time and I've rebalanced that cash into a net new position and I plan to do a video on those changes in a couple of weeks as I've already got a different video planned for next Saturday, though if you're a Patreon or Iscrat or king of mine then you already know what I did since I talked about my moves in the private upper tier Patreon channels on my dividend discord. Okay, to summarize, as we've seen there are basically three steps to rebalancing. Number one, identify your ideal target asset allocations. Number two, evaluate your portfolio's current allocations. And number three, buy and sell and deposit and such to rebalance your portfolio. I mentioned how simply going with VTI is probably one of the better long-term investing strategies you can have, and it also allows you to worry a bit less about balancing your portfolio than someone who only owns individual stocks. But even if you only own VTI, you should still think about how much cash you own, if you want any bonds, perhaps if you want some precious metals and or real estate, or whatever. Lots of things to decide. Some people choose to outsource their portfolio balancing, either to a robo-advisor or maybe to a financial professional. I prefer to do it myself. Bottom line, a balanced dividend portfolio should be created such that it meets your needs and goals with the right amount of diversification and risk. In terms of what I mean by right amount of diversification, I'm talking about the types of assets you hold, including how much of each. Now when or how often should you rebalance your portfolio? Well, there are two common approaches. The simplest one is based on time, where you assess if you should rebalance perhaps once or twice a year. A nice thing about balancing based on a set schedule is that it helps shield you against psychological factors that could cause you to make changes to your portfolio during extreme market fluctuations, which you probably want to avoid. 
I mean, lots of people FOMO into stocks and panic out of stocks, and so setting a specific time when you rebalance might help prevent you from doing things you'll later regret. The other approach for balancing, which is probably better, is to rebalance when certain conditions in your portfolio are met or certain thresholds are hit. Like you might choose to rebalance when a position grows too large, or if your thesis about a company has changed, or whatever. Basically you are rebalancing when your asset allocation has moved too far away from your desired targets, like maybe when it's more than a few percentage off of what you want. And of course you could blend both strategies to further manage your risk by rebalancing based on time and based on thresholds, but be careful of not rebalancing too much. A nice thing about using thresholds to rebalance is that it's also an objective way to do it, which again removes your emotions from the decision. Now a study was done which said that using a 20% tolerance threshold for rebalancing asset classes with similar expected returns can enhance the return of a portfolio. Like let's assume a hypothetical asset allocation plan includes 10% in small cap companies. 20% of that allocation would be 2%. If you use a tolerance threshold, you would rebalance when the small cap asset allocation dropped below 8% or above 12%. In either case, the asset class would have moved away from your plan by 20%. If an asset class was over half your portfolio, then you'd rebalance when that asset class dropped below 40% or above 60%. Regardless, guard against rebalancing too frequently, avoid constant churn in your portfolio, don't keep selling completely out and adding new stocks in. Okay, now let's take a look at some fascinating data from a Vanguard study. They said the following, We believe participants need to reach a total savings rate of 12% to 15% or more to meet their retirement goals, i.e. after reviewing tons of data they've amassed over the years as one of the big brokerage firms out there, they concluded that people need to be saving and investing 12% to 15% of their take-home pay on average. They also found that when including both employee and employer contributions, the median total participant contribution rate in 2021 was 10.4%, which means people are underinvesting relative to what they should be doing, and that's just from people who are already investing. They also found that in 2021, the median retirement account balance was about $35,000. In 2022, they said that most people's portfolios fell 20%, so I'm guessing the median retirement account in 2023 was probably around 28 grand or maybe a bit more if those accounts also held bonds. Now diving a bit more into it, they broke down retirement accounts by income, and you can see that for folks that make less than 15k a year, their median retirement account balance was about 3300 bucks, and then those in the 50k to 74k range, which is about the median income in the USA, had a median account balance of about 33 grand. And then at the high end of income, aka those who make 150k or more a year, well, their retirement account balance median was at 225 grand. They also broke it down by age and found that people under 25 years old had a median retirement account balance of about 1700 bucks, and those in 35 to 44 age range were at 36 grand, and those aged 55 to 64 were at almost 90 grand. We also see that men had a higher median retirement account balance at 45 grand as compared to women at 31 grand. And they broke down median retirement account balances by how long people have been working, where you can see where people who have been working two to three years had balances of 17 grand on average. 4 to 6 years of working at 36 grand, and 10 plus years at 151 grand. Then another interesting dataset Vanguard put together was around asset allocation, which is useful given this discussion on rebalancing. We see that in 2021, 74% of people's accounts was in stocks, 7% was in cash, 6% was in bonds, 38% was in target date funds, 4% was in balance funds, 42% was in diversified equity funds, and 2% was in company stock. Vanguard also broke down asset allocation based on where people worked. So people working in the media and entertainment, along with those in the education and health industries, both tend to have very low company stock in their portfolios at under 0.5% on average, 
whereas people in transportation, utilities, and communications, along with those in agriculture, mining, and construction, have 5% of their portfolios in company stock on average. You see that people in the media, entertainment, and leisure professions have the least amount of cash at 3% of their portfolios, while those in agriculture, mining, and construction have the most at 10%. Cash is something you want in case of emergencies, as well as for when you want to invest in something, but holding too much cash might mean that you aren't investing as aggressively as you should. One final note, Vanguard did a study that found that some people did better by never rebalancing their portfolios, which reminds me of that tidbit about how the best performing brokerage accounts come from dead people. <laughs> something to think about. Whatever you do, make sure you invest, as that's a doable path to achieve long-term wealth. Moving on, now I'm going to tell you the amazing story of Gilmer Hinson, who retired from the Navy in 1969 and got a job sweeping floors at Lowe's Home Improvement. Lowe's is a favorite dividend king stock of many investors out there. And thank you to my subscriber named Lewis who found the story for me to share. Now, when Gilmer joined Lowe's, they encouraged their employees to reinvest their wages into the company. So Gilmer did just that over the next 40 years that he worked there. During that time, Lowe's stock split five times, each one at a two to one rate, which means that each share that Gilmer bought when he first started working would have turned into 32 shares, which helps explain how that when he retired at age 80, he had amassed 75,000 shares of Lowe's stock. Gilmer was a simple guy who was one of those people who became an eight-figure multimillionaire, but none of his friends knew he had any money. He lived a simple life in a simple house and was happy. For reference, today's Lowe's trades at 212 bucks, so 75,000 shares would be worth about $16 million. Insane. Lowe's pays out a low 1.97% yield, or $4.20 per share per year. That means his dividends were paying him 315 grand each year. Not bad, Gilmer. Not bad at all. Gilmer loved his wife and he was married to her for decades, and when she had been sick he left Christmas decorations up at their simple house year-round to brighten her spirits. After she died, Gilmer decided that he didn't need most of his money, and so he donated $10 million of his Lowe's fortune to charity. Gilmer died in 2020, and his story is an incredible one showing how powerful buy and hold investing can be, though I personally wouldn't put all of my investing eggs in one stock like that. It also shows you what a big difference you can make in others' lives if you choose to donate some or all of your wealth when you die. I'm actually long Home Depot myself, even though I love its competitor Lowe's as well. But Home Depot is one of the smaller positions in my portfolio. I think it's 23 out of 26 stocks I have. And with that, I'd like to shout out my newest Patreon aristocrats who have signed up since my last video. Thank you Blocker17, and thank you JonesR47. Aristocrats gained access to my dividend portfolio tracker spreadsheet, which I use in lots of my videos, and which I found is an awesome visual tool to help me balance my dividend portfolio. And Aristocrats get special access to various private channels on my Discord, including one which lets you watch my videos before I release them publicly on YouTube, as well as lets you vote on which thumbnails I should use, and of course you get more direct access to me. I also do a shout out as you just heard, and I add them to my scrolling news ticker if I still have space on it. Finally, I urge everyone to join my free Dividend Discord chat server, which has thousands of dividend investors on it from around the world. Regardless of what you do, please hit the thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. Thanks for watching, stay positive, and I'll talk to you again real soon. I am not a financial advisor, and these videos are for entertainment, inspiration, and educational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I am only sharing my opinion with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments.